0: Hey guys, it's Morgan. If you haven't yet, hit subscribe. Now I know I say I'm excited for this episode because blah, blah, blah. But I really am excited every time I say that. And I've got to say it again. I'm excited because... I've had these three thought groups mulling around in my head the last few days. One of them is this frustrating aspect of feminism that I noticed. Another is a shocking video that I watched about unplanned childlessness. That's a term I've never heard, but wow, it made sense as soon as I saw the video. And I watched the whole thing. It's almost two hours, and I was just really impacted by it. And then I've been taking this course With Hillsdale College, that led me to read a little segment of Plato's Republic yesterday, and it sparked this thought in my head. I want to share those three thoughts with you guys, and then we're going to answer some questions. If we have time, those questions are about conservative movement events, the good, the bad, and the improvements that we could make. And then one important question that I got that really caught my eye about maturity and breaking generational curses. So, that being said, let's begin. of course, just when you thought it couldn't get any better, Mike Glendell with MyPillow is launching MyPillow 2.0. When Mike invented MyPillow, it had everything you could ever want in a pillow. Now, nearly 20 years later, he discovered a new technology that makes it even better. The MyPillow 2.0 has the patented adjustable fill of the original MyPillow and now with a brand new fabric that's made with a temperature-regulating thread. The MyPillow 2.0 is the softest, smoothest, coolest pillow you'll ever own. For my exclusive listeners, the MyPillow 2.0 is buy one get one free with promo code MORGAN. The temperature regulating technology is 100% made in the USA and comes with a 10-year warranty, 60-day money-back guarantee. Go to MyPillow.com, use promo code MORGAN. That's buy one, get one free. MyPillow.com, promo code MORGAN. Thank you. Okay, so I hope everybody had a nice weekend. I want to start out with my three thoughts. Thought number one, I'll give you a little backstory. I basically love listening to things, watching things, or listening to like audio books and stuff or YouTube videos in the background when I'm cleaning, doing chores, cooking, all that stuff. I just love listening to things whenever I have some downtime because I like learning new things. Now, what I found interesting is that on my Explore page, I often get a lot of, you know, women-focused stuff, and it's not necessarily stuff I agree with. But what I've noticed is this trend of reactions or compilations of celebrities— mostly like singers and actresses. And it's usually a headline of something like compilation of the best moments of women fighting against sexism and sexist questions or misogynistic questions from the press. And so, you know, after seeing this general theme promoted on my timeline so much, I decided to click and watch this compilation of different moments where women, women stood up to misogyny and sexism. And It turns out it's a bunch of different situations where famous women who have careers, obviously they're actresses, they're singers, they're celebrities in some way, they work. They were all mothers or had maybe just gotten married or maybe were trying to start a family or pregnant or had a lot of kids, all these different stages. And they were being asked in one way or another, you know, can you elaborate a little bit on how you balance your personal life, your family life and your children with your career? Now, you would think if the feminists that are so insistent, you know, half of them now say don't even have kids, but if the feminists that are so insistent on the narrative that you can do it all as a woman, that you can absolutely keep your career and never have a blocking moment where you're stunted and you can have all the children that you want and you can have your family and home life and marriage plus your career and be super successful in all areas of your life. If they are so insistent on this narrative that women can have it all, then don't you think they'd be interested as working women with careers and kids to answer the question of how they did it? Because for a long time, women haven't had careers plus children and family. They usually were The homemakers, they were the women keeping the home and embracing family. And then in certain situations, yeah, they would have to go to work. But now the feminists are promoting this message that it's really empowering to do both and that it's totally possible, even though it's very, very difficult to do, right? We all know this. So if they were actually capable of pulling it off and then they're asked about it on a platform where probably millions of readers or viewers or listeners in that interview are going to learn from them don't you think they should answer the question they insist that women can do it all and that we've been able to do it all and that they're doing it all of course right so then perhaps when they are asked how to actually pull that off by a reporter or a journalist and the women that are listening to that interview or watching the interview who look up to those celebrities are genuinely and respectfully curious and want to hear how you balanced it all, you should probably, female feminist celebrities that can do it all apparently, you should probably humble yourself a little bit and answer the question and provide your insight. Now, that's what I thought was going to happen. Like, you know, working moms, explaining how they balanced things, explaining their routine, explaining that, yes, it gets difficult sometimes, but XYZ, I'm sorry, but that's not what ended up happening in those videos that I was watching, you guys. And that's why I wanted to bring it up on the show. Because it like totally goes against their narrative that it's totally possible to do it all. It's totally fine. I'm doing it. Look at me. I'm the one doing it. I have it all. Okay, then please explain how you did it. Because in reality, when they are asked these questions, these honest, genuine questions of like, hey, how did you pull it off? Women around the country are curious. They go, oh, are you going to ask all the men in the room that question tonight? And it's like, (laughs) and that was the end of the, the interview. They, they had that cool slam shutdown of that sexist, misogynist reporter who dared to ask that question, even though oftentimes it was a woman asking the female celebrity the question. So just think about how that doesn't really make sense, right? You know what I mean? It's like it doesn't make sense. You should want to answer that question for the benefit of all women out there that are trying to live up to the standard that you're setting. And then you're not even giving them the basic information or insight from your experiences on how you did it and how they can maybe do the same. Instead, you had some cool one-liner shutdown of a now sexist, misogynist, female reporter asking you an honest question. So, yeah. That deserved a little Morgan thought in my podcast notes today because I just wanted to bring that up of how it doesn't make sense. Let's move on to the second one. I'm sorry, I'm just like really enjoying these topics and they've been in my head for a long time. So to get to like talk them out is enjoyable to me. (laughs) Maybe that's weird. Okay, number two. Like I said, I listen to things and watch things whenever I'm doing chores or cooking or cleaning in the kitchen. One of the things that came up on my timeline was a recent episode on Jordan Peterson's podcast. And I've got to admit, you guys, I haven't really watched a lot of Jordan Peterson stuff. But what caught my eye is I get the advertisements for Exodus with The Daily Wire. And I was like, wow. Now that looks interesting. So then I started like clicking on more Peterson videos and I watched the little Exodus teaser. And of course, then that boosts the algorithm to fill my timeline with it. So now I have Jordan Peterson videos all in my timeline and I've got to say, I find it highly enjoyable. I really like it. One of the ones that I decided to watch was a two hour or so episode where he interviews a guy who did a documentary on unplanned childlessness and birth rates that don't match the death rate. (laughs) So population decline and how it's a serious problem. But the episode title for Jordan Peterson's podcast where he interviews the guy is something along the lines of like the epidemic that no one talks about, unplanned childlessness. And I wanted to include a little segment, but let me just talk about the title first. I mean, unplanned childlessness. We have a lot of problems (laughs) in terms of family not exactly being promoted motherhood not exactly being promoted fatherhood not being promoted you have like so many different factors right it's not like gee if we could just convince women to want to have kids then all the world's problems will be solved all the relational problems all the familial problems totally solved with just this one simple solution snap of a finger kind of thing no it's a problem of women want empowerment and they've been raised to think and believe that they're the exact same as men so they go to school they get a career and then they they go wait a second i kind of I'm almost 30 and I I feel this desire to nurture little babies and I don't have any of my own. I don't even have a boyfriend because I'm super single and empowered. And so then they try and settle down. And what do you know? They try and settle down. And by the time maybe they're lucky enough to actually find a love of their life, they're both in their 30s and they're experiencing infertility. So there's that problem. There's also the issue of hormonal issues caused by birth control. And we've talked about that in other episodes. And then, of course, on the men's side, you don't exactly have men excited to want to settle down. And there's all those different problems with that as well. Like this is not uh, one person being the culprit causing all the problems, but we have a lot of serious issues that we need to look at. So he talks about those in the episode and stuff, but this idea of unplanned childlessness Takes away the issue of the woke left telling women that they should be more empowered and decide to not have kids because it'll drag down their career, stuff like that. Take that out of it of like the left literally saying kids are going to cause more issues with the climate and destroy the earth so we shouldn't procreate, all that stuff. Take away the economic issues of, oh, people don't have kids because they can't afford it, all those different factors. And then put it into the box of there's actually a massive issue of people that would like to have kids but cannot. And that's what he really explores, investigates all that jazz. And it turns out it's because society, we're put on this path, and they'll talk about it in the video I'm about to show you. We're put on this path and they tell us you got to do these certain things. You got to get this certain education. You got to seek that job and career. You've got to do all these things and live it up. And then nobody ever actually guides us on the, the family part, on the personal relationship part. And it's up to us to kind of figure all the rest of that out. And by the time we do, scientifically, it's just not in our favor. So what you're going to hear soon is a shocking statistic that after 30 years old, if a woman hasn't had a kid by the time that she's 30 years old, her chances of ever having a child become 50%. Did you know that? No, probably not. I didn't know that. And I love these topics. I had no idea. (laughs) So I'm 26 and I'm over here peeing my pants out of nerves all of a sudden of like whoa whoa, whoa." (laughs) so you're saying that there's a lot of women out there that are excited to do this and they haven't fallen to the woke left and all that jazz but because society has pushed it into us into thinking that it's okay to have kids later to do all that stuff a little bit later we are now falling victim to quote unplanned childlessness and now it's a mental issue that people are having to come to grips with because they're like wait a second that's me i'm now in my mid to late 30s and i always assumed that the family thing would just happen when i settled down and now it's not happening i mean it was fascinating you guys you've got to watch the actual video But for now, I recorded, I screen recorded this little section that caught my attention of, we're put on this path, no one guides us, and by the time we figure it out and settle down, because in our hearts, we're like, wait, this is what I really want, it's almost too late. Shocking. So here we go.
1: What happens to the people who end up without children? Well, there's no path to it,
0: right? The
1: path is education, 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 usually, not for everyone, but... And then debt, uh, sure, debt, Yeah. but that's not the driver because education in some countries is much lower than the U.S. So some people will say, oh, that's the problem. Yeah, It's not a good thing. It yeah. can't help. Yeah, um, And that's career, career, career. And no one right, right. is guiding people to say, actually, there is a moment in time when you really need to prioritize this. So that we've left young people to find a path on their own, having sent them off as parents, as as, a, as societies to find a path in yeah. life that will get them to where they want to be, which everyone I think implicitly assumes for most people, not all, will involve love and will involve children, yeah but actually, what's happening is when young people are getting to that point, they're often in their thirties because no one really is is, is thinking um, that thirty is too late, yeah at all, yeah. But, I mean, just another statistic, if you look across every country we had data on, the probability of becoming a parent, a mother rather, it's on women again, the probability of someone without children age 30 ever becoming a parent at most, at most, is 50%. Really? That's just the outcome. So by 30, by 30. If you haven't had your first child by 30, and most countries... It's lower than that, and 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 why is that? Well, is it is? Do you know? I mean, there must be multiple causes. Part of that would be partnerlessness. Part of that would be fertility difficulties. Um, what are the major contributors to that? The major contributor is not finding a partner yeah. at the right time. Yeah, right. Or when you do find a partner, it's you've challenges. Yeah. So well, the other thing
0: that that. So yeah, I mean, if. If you were just as shocked as I was in that, then I really encourage you to go watch the rest of that video. Again, it's called something along the lines of like the epidemic we rarely speak of or something like that, unplanned childlessness. So just search Jordan Peterson's podcast on YouTube with keyword unplanned childlessness. Again, I can't stress this statistic enough. I had no idea. (laughs) What they talk about in there is that Women, if you have not had a child by 30, once you turn 30, your chance of ever having a child is about 50% at most. That's a little scary. You know what I mean? That's a little scary. And I mean, the general topics that are also touched on there that really open your eyes, whether you're a man or a woman, is how short life really is. And, you know, we're told that youth is just so important. It's really the best time of our life. We've got to live it up. And we have no excitement pitched about the later years of life and the later stages when in reality it's a majority of our life. And when we're alone during those years, it's really sad. And so unplanned childlessness, when you assumed that you were going to be able to, you know, meet your person, have babies, do all that stuff after you did what society told you to with education and career. And it just never happens, it's quite a shock. And I don't know enough to just go off on a, a podcast episode like this to talk about, like, the different ways you can get pregnant if you actually are infertile, like the implants and stuff like that. I just personally am seeing a lot that's actually really shocking, like the fact that a lot of embryos are just never actually turned into humans. And when you consider the massive scale of human beings that are formed in a petri dish and then just discarded, it starts to look more dark and dark. And so it's not like we could just say, well, everybody could just do that instead, you know, because it's turning out that that's looking like a quite an interesting process that we should probably be learning a little bit more about before we all just support that. I'm also looking at my window right now and I'm seeing a deer. I thought it was just a clump of something, but it just moved. So it means it's a deer. How cute. Okay. Um, Back to the, okay, that was, sorry, guys. This is a very serious topic. Back to the topic. What it did for me, though, and I'll just be a little personal right here, I think because of my, you know, my timeline with going from college into starting the nonprofit and just having this whirlwind of travel and events and excitement. And, you know, my group was about young people teaching other young people about socialism and opening their eyes on social media to history and economics and all these things. When I was going to donor meetings, when I was going to events, when I was speaking, I was the young person The young girl there on the stage to talk about how we were reaching other young people. And I just think for all those years, I didn't ever see the transition coming for me, but I just assumed it was going to happen. And maybe you guys can relate to that of like, you didn't really visualize yourself actually turning into the, okay, Time for me to want a family and a husband and everything and actually get that. We just had in the back of our mind of like, well, it's just that's not happening yet. Like, we're not in that phase yet. And of course, we will be one day. And I think that very bold assumption for me to have said that, like, oh, of course it's going to happen for me one day. It's, it's, of course, why wouldn't it? You know what I mean? That's what they exactly talk about is that people like us just say, well, of course it's going to happen one day. And then it doesn't. (laughs) And it's a shock and it's definitely a mental thing that people then have to deal with. It's a serious cause of, of depression. Imagine thinking that you're going to extend your family line, that you're going to make little use and then it just isn't possible because you followed what society told you to do and then it's not actually physically possible anymore. So being personal in that, like I'm 26 and I have looked at, you know, what do I spend my time doing? What do I invest in? And is that getting me to the actual long-term goal of where I really want to be? Like, what is only just a few years of fun in terms of like the work that I'm doing, like the commentary and stuff? Does that get me anywhere closer to where I'm trying to be other than helping me try to buy the homestead? You know what I mean? Like, that was always my joke of, well, if I accept this contract, it's this much more on the down payment for my homestead. But I don't want to be on a homestead alone. You know what I mean? So it's it's like, where can I put myself in the spaces where I'm surrounded by other people? And what I've learned the most is that having conversations with women that have actually done it and men, vice versa, I encourage you to do the same. Like, I want to talk to women that are at home with multiple kids, they're homeschooling, they're involved in their church, and they are just loving their life and going through all the struggles and everything of what, as well. Like, I want to hear the transition. I want to ask women, how did you begin to let go of the work stuff that you had been kind of trained to love and admire and put on an, uh, put up as an idol? how did you let go of that? And then I can more easily see how I'm able to do that because I'm like, whoa, whoa, wait, I actually have to start doing those things now. It's like a little scary almost. So I'm just sharing this with you because I was also taken aback and I had always assumed, well, of course it's going to happen to me, you know, but eventually you have to look at yourself and say, wait, if you're 26 and then you start doing the math of all of it, it's like, oh my gosh. (laughs) So that's currently where I'm at right now. Another little topic on this while we're discussing childlessness and all that stuff. One of those big issues is the fact that we don't exactly excite young people about these years of life. We don't put motherhood, we don't put a mother and her baby on this pedestal that we really should, a pedestal of society in terms of we all came from a mother. We are all so deeply connected to this natural process and we should be honoring women and honoring babies and youth and protecting innocence. And really getting people excited about those roles instead of motherhood and having children, both for men and women, being seen as a burden, we need to be talking as a society, as a culture about how those are really positive things. And then that naturally, according to Peterson and the guy he's talking to, that naturally tends to improve the birth rates and the family rates of people because you're exciting young people about those phases of life. Now, if you look at our current culture, of course... It's the complete opposite. You know what I mean? And so it's really up to us, again, this is not a fun answer, but it's up to us generationally to be that change and to be positive when we talk about these things, to talk about babies and all these things so positively. Like I know I'm not a TikToker and I don't really like social trends and all that, but I love when I see the trends about how cute babies are and like cute videos of babies, all those things. The more little positive things we can do to improve the narrative and the reputation of moving into that phase of life, the better. Because not only is it important that in general it's positive, but then we have to consider, okay, how do we now talk to an entire generation and future generations about how they have to abandon what society says about age and the limitations and expectations of when you should do certain things and begin to do it a lot sooner? Because it's definitely countercultural. You know what I mean? Like, this is a big issue. (sighs) That being said, the deer, yeah, the deer's gone which is a little sad, but that's okay. And let's move on to my thought group number three. So because I'm a nerd and I just love doing this stuff, can I just say, by the way, it's so fun as an adult to be able to like do this kind of fun stuff. I decided to take... Hillsdale College's free online course called A Proper Understanding of K-12 Education. Now, I just want to say they have a bunch of free ones, and you could just search Hillsdale College free course or something like that, and it brings you to the site. There's a bunch on the Bible, on history, on philosophy, um, literature, all that stuff. I really am into literature lately, like classic literature getting into it, getting away from just reading about politics and history, and then getting more into like, you know, I kind of want to read Huckleberry Finn. You know what I mean? So. I'm in that phase right now, and that's what actually brought me to the Hillsdale College online course section because I was going to do a literature one. And then I plan on doing children's literature. There's classic children's literature as a course, and I want to do that because I think it's really important to incorporate in homeschool and all that jazz. But I don't have any kids or anything right now, so it's like I could do that one later. Right. It's not necessary right now. What I decided to do instead was I saw a course called A Proper Understanding of K-12 Education. And in the introduction of it, first of all, there were some interesting points made. Hillsdale College was founded in 1844, and so a long time ago when things weren't exactly as they are now. And it's actually one of the first institutions in the country that allowed women in, men and women. Both sexes could get in, and it allowed all races. So that's very rare for a school in 1844. But Hillsdale College, rooted in faith and freedom and values rooted in freedom, was actually one of the first universities to let people in that way. So isn't that such a nice thing? What I also found was interesting is that the students had to learn Greek and Latin to attend which is fascinating I'm I'm looking into learning a different language and then another one and I th- kind of think I want to begin learning Spanish and then move into Greek and Latin but I'm not exactly sure I just think that it would be really fun and I'm looking for ways to improve my memory improve my brain I guess you could say because I just feel like I need to expand my horizons in those fun ways of learning and kind of become a student again in things other than politics <laughs> um so those things got my attention, and then what he also said, the lecturer, he mentioned how because women were able to go to the school, what they often would do, and I keep in mind this is like 1844, Little House on the Prairie vibes, think of it like that. Women that attended the school then went back to their communities, which I'm sure were very small and still in the very early stages of development, I'm sure you can imagine. I, I keep thinking of Little House on the Prairie with their like one-room schoolhouse, think of that. When they would leave the university, they would go back to their home and, first of all, become educators of their family because the entire family, that was probably the first person to have been educated, that woman that had gone. She came back and she basically became the teacher of her family and the young kids in it, the parents, all of that, and passed that knowledge on to her family, but then also became the community, her region's school teacher. And so through her, she was able to pass all this knowledge from Hillsdale, this freedom institution rooted in such great values. She was able to then become the regional school teacher and the children of the community would come to her. And because of this experience, she was that outlet. She was that source of wisdom and information for so many people. Like this isn't as if she just became another public school teacher in America in 2023. If you're one of the only educated people in your region and you are the teacher, that is so valuable. And I found that really interesting. But That being said, when I was taking the course, one of the readings is Plato's Republic. And as I was reading Plato's Republic, I was reading a section that related to something we all see these days, and it's the, you know, the use of children as political props, the indoctrination of children in the classroom and on social media and with pop culture and all that jazz. And I I think it's personally an attack on children's innocence, but when we see not just the race-based curriculum, but also sexual content in the classroom and in the recommended readings in the libraries of our children, our community's students, it's really disturbing. And then also how the left just reaches down to such a young age of American children and starts to use them as political props, like bringing them to drag shows just to prove a point or all these other things, like having them be a part of climate change rallies and stuff. That's what came to mind when I read this from Plato's Republic. Here's the little segment. So it starts out and he's basically having a conversation with someone about how education and learning is so important, especially for the people that are leading and taking care of others. And he says, don't you know that the beginning is the most important part of every work and that this is especially so with anything young and tender? For at that stage, it's most plastic, and each thing assimilates itself to the model whose stamp anyone wishes to give to it. So to provide some context again, they're talking about general education, but what he begins to say is, when you're talking about education, the most important thing to consider is the start, the beginning, and by that, the childhood, the youth, the young mind that needs to begin to be educated. And if you are able to have an impression, if you're able to educate and as a stamp, place your impression onto a young mind, that is often the way the child will go. And that's biblical, too. I mean, there's the the phrase raise up the child in the direction you want it to go. That was a paraphrase. What Plato is saying is that it really matters what you teach the youth of a society. So then he says, you know, if young Education is so important. If if reaching the young minds is so, so important in the general education of an entire population, he says, then shall we so easily let the children hear just any tales fashioned by just anyone and take into their souls opinions for the most part opposite to those we'll suppose they must have when they're grown up? What is he saying there, you guys? He's saying, okay, so if it matters so much, then should we just let anybody educate kids? Should we just let anybody make a strong impression on children's minds? Probably not. He's asking that sarcastically, right? If it matters so much, then we should probably be very careful about how children are educated and who we let educate them. Because for the most part, if we don't care about this, if we don't pay attention to this, you're going to have people that disagree with us completely. And they will raise children up in the complete opposite way of which they really need to be if we're going to build a strong community and society. So then he finishes and he says, First, as it seems, we must supervise the makers of tales. And if they make a fine tale, which is a good story, it must be approved. But if it is not, it must be rejected. We'll persuade nurses and mothers to tell the approved tales to their children and to shape their souls with tales more than their bodies with hands. What he's saying there is, you know, when you're talking to young kids, you often use stories, narrations. You aren't like telling them historical facts and stuff. But when you're creating these stories and tales, it really matters if it's a good one or a bad one. And so protecting children from a young age and giving them good things to learn, positive things to learn, righteous things to learn matters so much. And what they're saying there is that there must be supervision. We must supervise the makers of tales and make sure that nurses and mothers are telling approved tales. Now, no, he's not saying that government should have this completely tyrannical approach to controlling the things that a mother teaches her child. But when it comes to good versus evil, yes, you have to make sure that there is protection between bad adults and good children, because there are bad ones out there. And specifically, we need to take this into consideration now in modern America with who writes curriculum, who writes the textbooks, who teaches the kids. Okay, and then taking it into the next step, there's parents out there that are willing to bring their children to a sexual drag show where nasty stuff happens on stage and children are giving money to sexual performers. So you got that as well. But I thought this was a really interesting connection because when you read something from thousands of years ago, and it's just so relevant, it's like a tale as old as time and that kind of wisdom is alive and there for us to read, but... Half the time for some reason we have to experience it and make the mistakes ourselves as a society or individually and then we learn that lesson and we make the proper improvements it's kind of crazy where human history repeats itself if we don't pay attention if we don't learn and avoid those mistakes in a repeated pattern so that was from Plato's Republic. Okay, so let's see. Let's wrap that up. That was the little segment from Plato's Republic. If you haven't read the whole thing yet, obviously, I encourage you to do so. It looks like we won't have time for the questions, so we'll have to push those on to the next episode. But thank you guys for tuning in. If you haven't yet, hit subscribe so that you get notified when I do answer those questions in the next episode. I appreciate you listening. I hope you learned a little bit, and I'll see you next time. Thank you.